Welcome to the High and Low Podcast. I'm your host, Bravo Bravo Ducking Bravo. And today we're going to get into the absolute shenanigans of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the most recent episode where they spread Mercer's ashes. And the episode is called Ashing It Out. But before we get into that, we got to talk about the big thing that happened, which is the Super Bowl. Look, I don't know what's going on in this crazy world. All I know is I'm in such a state. I'm so thirsty for good news and for joy and for just positivity. I watched the Super Bowl tonight. I don't think I've ever watched the Super Bowl like intentionally on my own, not like somebody else is putting it on and I'm going to their party, so I'm going to watch it. I literally was like, what time does it come on? I looked it up. And then I watched it. I programmed my TV and I watched the whole thing from beginning to end. I don't know who I am either. I don't sports. Me no sports is what I always say. But, you know, I don't all the way follow it. So I still am like, I don't, I don't know what a fourth down is. I don't know that I need to know. I'm there for the spirit. I don't need to get into the weeds about it. I can tell when something good happens and I can tell when something bad happens. I can just read the room. But boy, was it a fun game for anybody else who watched I really didn't know which way it was going to go. And that's what makes a really fun game, right? It went into overtime. If you didn't know who won, I'm sorry, I'm going to be the one to tell you. The Chiefs won. The Chiefs won. Everybody was like, oh, the Chiefs are going to win for sure. The fix is in. Oh, the whole NFL is going to make sure. I really didn't think they were going to win. I thought it was like they were going to lose. I really did. To win in overtime when they had seconds left for the first quarter of overtime, however that works, I don't think there was anything... That was prearranged here. But people love a good conspiracy, though. Good on you. Keep being suspicious. We need more of that in this world. Just don't lose your marbles. Just keep your marbles in a pouch. But anyway, it was a good game. And there were so many, like, overly emotional, I would say, commercials. Like, I get it. You can evoke some emotion. But some of these commercials want to bring me to my knees. Some of these commercials want me to silently weep and give me a... I have a headache right now from just being emotionally manipulated by companies so that I'll buy things. And then all the loving moments at the end between TNT, Travis and Taylor. You gotta love it. His mom is into it. His dad is there. They're all so happy for these crazy kids. Jason and Kylie are there. And I'm a Kylie fan because she seems like a somebody on TikTok called it regular degular kind of gal. And I love that. I love a regular degular. She's just, you know, t-shirt yoga pants. She's good to go. I love that. Anyway, what a night. That was thrilling. I enjoyed it. And now let's get into it. My favorite thing about me not having the speed or the time to put on an episode the night of it airing is that things happen. And what has happened since that episode aired on Wednesday is that now a New York Times article has been written about the episode which is kind of amazing. And it was on the front page of the New York Times. It was the critic's notebook section. It was called Where's Merce? He's in the purse. His ashes, that is. And it was a great little piece about how this whole storyline about Merce from Sutton has raised awareness of his contributions to the dance world and who he was. And uh, I just thought that was so wonderful because I think that's what Sutton would want. She would want people to be aware of him and how great he was and his influence on dance and choreography. But again, this is a testament to Sutton. She's not even trying. She's not even trying to make the front page of the New York Times. That's just who she is. She's just an interesting person. And I think Merce would love this. I personally think that 
that any of us after we're gone would love a front page New York Times article, let alone being a major plot line and a TV show where all of a sudden tons of fans know who we are. I think he'd love it. But the episode opens with Sutton's very emotional moment when she was getting her glam done and she just started crying, thinking about the weight of what the day would bring, spreading his ashes and how her loss of her father and her recent divorce is sort of all tied up in those emotions with Kyle coming in, consoling her, which now we wonder was that fake because she belittled all of that after the trip was over in an after show. But it is a very sad moment and it does show you that unlike some of the ladies who we watch the show and we're like, oh, she's hamming up for the camera. Sutton did not want to be so emotional in that moment and she's trying to rein it in and she does something to herself that I, I've done to myself and I'm sure a lot of us do too, where it's like, okay, that's enough. That's enough of that. And she's trying to tell herself like stiff upper lip. Okay, you're fine. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to cry anymore. And Kyle, a testament to her is like, it's okay if you cry. And she's again, being so lovely to her in these moments that making fun of it afterwards and laughing like, well, I never heard of her so she wants to spread his ashes. That is still is so confusing to me, but Sutton goes on and she's talking about how it's not just Merce, it's about two decades of her life that she's saying goodbye to. So it's a big deal for her and they're going to meet up with Trevor. So he comes by and he goes and, and they have their their moment together. He says hello to all of the ladies and he rides with them to go to the the site where they're going to go spread the ashes. And on that van ride, there's some levity and there's some comic relief when Trevor, I don't know how this actually starts. Somebody starts talking about bears and different kinds of gay men that there are. And of course, so Erica's like, wow, did someone talk about like the thing that you're in? Like if you have an uncle who's really interested in the Civil War and it comes up, he's like, wow, is somebody talking about the Civil War? Like this is Erica's subject matter. She's like, but then you can have this kind of bear and then you can have that. And, then, and we're like, okay, we get it. You know, a lot of gay men, this is your moment to shine. Then Garcelle chimes in and she's like, you know, I had Andy on my radio show, her podcast. And she asked him if he was a top or a bottom. And he said that he was a powerful top which I was like, well, that makes sense because he's got to put up with a lot of crap all day long from all these women. You got to get it out, get it out in the bedroom. And there's a theory that what you are in the bedroom is kind of the opposite of how you have to be in your regular day. So there's a lot of, you know, super powerful men that like want to dominatrix to so just slap them around, you know, and where Andy is concerned, he's getting probably texted and called and tweeted at from women. He's got to put up with crap all day. And so at night, no, no. He calls the shots. So I was like, that fits. And I just went and watched the full clip because I hadn't seen it myself. I just saw that one little quote from Andy. And they go on to talk about that. They go on to talk and say, oh, well, you know how you are in your normal life. You want the opposite in the bedroom. And he's like, well, I just happen to be a boss in both. And I'm like, I think I think you probably got to put up with a lot of crap from nine to five. And then you get to be the boss. I mean, he's got real housewives and their husbands. He's talked about it in his books before, just saying mean things to him, begging to be back on the show, being rude to him. He puts up with a lot. But all the ladies had a giggle about that. So it was a good moment. And we thank Papa Andy for always giving us, giving us what we, he knows that we want, the entertainment value. But they get to the site where they're going to spread the ashes and it's like a cliffside. It's very beautiful. There's stairs and they're at the bottom of these beautiful stone steps overlooking the ocean. The ocean waves are crashing right next to them. And they've got the white floral wreaths ready. And she and Trevor are holding on to the remains of Merce's ashes in the little, a little box that they put it in. And that was another moment that was endearing. He helped her transfer 
the ashes back at the villa from the little Ziploc bag, they carefully tip, 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 tapped into a, a little clutch kind of a situation's metal box and a little bit got on them and they weren't freaked out about it, <laughs> so, which is good for what's to come. So Sutton gives a speech, very moving speech, very impassioned speech about her father, her marriage, about Merce. It's very emotional. And they have a lot of cutaways to their confessionals. So Kyle is saying, you know, I think that Sutton has been in a lot of pain. And many of us, more than many of us, have even imagined. And so I'm like, how can you say that in that same confessional outfit that you've been joking on her and just saying the worst things ever? Uh, I don't understand this. But anyway, then Garcelle says Sutton holds a lot inside and the marriage thing was actually really, really, really difficult for her, but she didn't, she didn't show it as much as other people would have made it their entire storyline and personality for probably three or four seasons. You know, Sutton mentions it, but she doesn't dwell on it. She keeps it inside. And then Sutton says, you know, holding these ashes, like, I've got to let all three of these men go in this moment. And she says, you know, I get sad about my divorce. I get sad about my dad. I get sad about Merce. I've just got to say goodbye. So Sutton and Trevor are in an embrace and they have, one has, you know, a hand on Merce. The other one has a hand on Merce. And together they open the box and Sutton flings it. Now, in the moment before she flung the ashes, I said, now hold on, because the wind seems to be coming off of the ocean, blowing her either hair or extensions back. They look beautiful, whichever they are. And I was like, if they're blowing towards her face and she's about to throw the ashes in that same direction, I think the ashes are going to blow back. And they absolutely did blow right back. But not on to Sutton, on to all of the women who were standing to the side. And the, the editors, oh boy, they had a good time. And we all had a good time too. The editors took the time to circle the aura of Merce dust that floated over across the ladies. They circled it and they put an arrow that said Merce. And that was hilarious to me. Kyle got it in the face. Merce said, eat me, bitch. I hear you talking about Sutton. Taste this. That's Merce karma. And that's a good friend too. Like I get madder about injustices for my friends than I do for myself. So I would absolutely love to blow in the mouths of my friends' haters if they spread my ashes in front of them. I'd be like, joke. That, that slow-mo of his, of his dust had me cracking up. And it was graceful too. You could tell he was a dancer. And honestly, I think with these services, you got to go in to any ash spreading service just saying, I'm going to get it all over me. So wear something that you know you're going to get it on. And if you see the ash coming towards you, just close your eyes and just open your arms and smile and just just let it cover you. Why fight it? You're going to get it either way, you know? And then Erica's got the audacity to say in her cutaway, I don't know this man. I don't want to taste this man. To which I say, bet that never stopped you before. At least he's a legend, right? The joke was there. I had to take it. I had to take it. So Kyle is tweaking. For the rest of the episode, just brushing, <laughs> trying to brush Merce off of her. Just, <laughs> she's very freaked out. She got it in her mouth. Oh, what a scene. What a scene. Thank you, Merce. And then people start throwing their, their flower wreaths. And that's our Sutton, you know, handing everybody a flower wreath so they could all have their own moment. She's a giver. I think she's a sharer and a giver. She's a generous soul in the ways that generosity actually matters, which is consideration and thinking of others 
and how they could benefit from a situation. I'm just into Sutton. She has really turned into a top-tier housewife. So when it comes to throwing the wreaths, Garcelle goes first. And I think it's one of those moments where people don't expect to get emotional, but then you do because you start talking about things that actually cut to the core of you. So Garcelle starts crying and she's talking about not having her dad from the ages of three to 14, her husband having the affair in the ways that he did that was so public and humiliating. And she says she's letting that go, those those kind of resentments go as she throws the wreath. Then Crystal, she has her wreath. And again, I think she's sort of surprised by how emotional she gets talking about her brother and him leaving. And, you know, she says in that moment, maybe forever. So I don't think she expects him to actually live there for only half the year that he's saying. And she has to let go of feeling like, you know, she has to have any kind of control over that. And then we get 8.5. And I don't understand what 8.5s it felt like a word salad. I'm going to read exactly what she said to you. I wrote it down because I, I read it a couple of times to myself. I rewound it and I watched it two or three times. And I was like, I still don't know what she's saying here. 8.5 gets up. She says, quote, I know I have a confident exterior, but I still got a lot of work to do to feel like I'm in a peaceful place for myself and my family. And I want to be happy. What does that mean? I have a lot of work to do to feel like I'm in a peaceful place for myself and my family, and I want to be happy. Okay. Again, I don't know what that was. Thanks. I think a person just got up there and really didn't. I don't think she really knew what to say. I don't think she's that deep. I think she's as deep as like a half-inch puddle. And so she was like, I don't know. I'm just going to say some stuff. Then Dorit gets up. She says, the PTSD I live with. I'm going to try to leave it here, but I don't know if I can let go of my expectations of PK. So it's pretty much her whole storyline, I think. She's like, that's it. That's all I got. Those two things, my PTSD and I I would like more things from PK, but we all know that's never going to change. Then Erica gets up and ooh, Erica, she, classic her, she makes hers about how she's been hurt by the other women for them not supporting her, adding to her pain, things like that over the last two and a half years since the Girardi stuff broke, where her husband was like one of the biggest criminals in the state of California that's ever existed. So she says, with this wreath, I'm going to let go of all the hurt from the last two and a half years from all of you. A new page of my life I always knew I would turn to. And my hurt and my anger and my old life, I'm throwing that with this wreath. So no wreath toss to talk about how horrifying it was to realize that her life was built on the backs of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are already suffering and in pain and needing money. That's not it. That's not what she threw the wreath about. Um, Or about how callously she handled that subject matter over the last two and a half years. Nope. It was about how the ladies should have been better to her. And should have supported her, but she's going to let that go. She's going to be the bigger person in this moment. And she's going to throw that wreath and just let all of that go. And I'm sure she patted her back about that the whole night. And I'm sure her makeup team or glam team all told her that she was really brave to do it. And that was a really important thing for her. And I'm, I'm sure she'll talk about it in therapy and her therapist will cash that check. So we immediately get the cutaways to Garcelle's confessional. And she's like, uh, what? Like we weren't 
cruel to her. We were actually really patient and kind. Like we just held up a mirror and sort of showed her how she was acting. And then they show the clips. Bless them. Bless the producers and the editors. They show the clips throughout the last two and a half years, like Erica yelling as the women were really gently trying to bring up the thousands of lives that were ruined to pay for her lifestyle. And then they show the classic cuts of last season where she's like, I don't care about anyone but me. I mean, it's that classic quote of when someone tells you who they are, believe them. This is that. Then Kyle is up. It's Kyle's turn. And her whole thing is she's going to let go of the guilt and she starts choking up bad. So we know it's probably going to be about Lorene and it was. And she says she's going to let go of the guilt of thinking that she could have done something differently with Lorene or even with her sister or with this group as well. And that she's held on to things that have hurt her and she's going to let that go by throwing the wreath. And then we get a cutaway to a Kyle confessional, again, giving another little baby step about her marriage not working out, saying, I'm not sharing with the women that I'm not sure if my marriage will survive. And we're like, Kyle, we know. You realize that we have social media and page six and whatever other you know, photographers have been capturing all of the stuff. Mauricio was in like some weird hothouse in Aspen clubbing, throwing champagne on 20 year olds. We know. So when they're all done, Sutton says, all right, let's, let's do a group hug everyone. And she's a treasure. I'll say it again. What a treasure. It was just really sweet of her to have sort of a group hug at the end. So they show the ladies walking down the cobblestone streets, going probably back to the van And Crystal and Erica are walking next to each other. And Crystal says, I liked your intention. And Erica says, I liked yours too. And Crystal says, I'm sorry that I contributed to your pain, which is one of the best apologies I've ever heard. And it kind of gave me chills because she wasn't saying like, I'm sorry that I doubted you about the earrings because we're not. Um, She wasn't saying like, I'm sorry that I didn't congratulate you or I'm like none of that. She didn't get any of that. She's just saying, I'm sorry that I contributed to your pain. Because even if somebody is wrong, it's still something that happened to them, that your position contributed to their pain. I thought it was beautiful. But Erica jumped at the opportunity to misunderstand it because she says, it's okay, honey. Shit happens. It's how you recover. And I thought that was a nice way of acknowledging it, but she can't ever really go deep. She doesn't really let herself do that. She reacts with like this toughness. And then her confessional confirms that she just wasn't really getting what Crystal was doing there. And she's eager to misunderstand it. She says, I love when someone says, sorry, sorry, I misjudged you. And I'm like, that's not what she said. She did not say, sorry, I misjudged you at all. She just said, I'm sorry, I contributed to your pain, but whatever. If Erica's happy, then fine. But it's just interesting to see her eagerness to spin something in a direction that she wants it to go in rather than the reality of it. So back in the van, Sutton is very, you know, cheery and back into her hostess mood. She has just switched her gears and is and is just lovely. And she's talking about the night that she has planned for them. There's a man named Manolo. We've seen him before. He's going to be their guy. They're going to learn. They've, they've been, I guess they've been learning a flamenco dance. They're going to perform a flamenco dance that night. Then we get back to the villa and we see Erica, Dorit, Garcelle, Sutton getting their glam done. And Erica, of course, is bitching about the service to her glam team. And she's like, well, I had to let go of the, uh, the last two years, you know, of all the feelings. And I just had to sit down and I had to say to my, she, again, with the blue Jasmine mumbles about her and all this kind of stuff. 
And it's just everything that she's done for the past two or three episodes has been so Blue Jasmine for me. And that's just such a great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. It's it's about a woman who is extremely wealthy and loses that wealth. And uh, then her turn of lifestyle, she still acts like a snob, even though she no longer has that level of wealth. And it reminded me so much, especially with that Brooklyn comment from the last episode where she's like, Brooklyn, what a dump. And I'm like, you barely have two pennies to rub together and you're going to look down on Brooklyn. I could just easily see Erica, you know, wandering, barely having any money if she ever got to that point, which she wouldn't. But I could just still see her looking down her nose at things just from that sort of elitist cosplay persona that she's put on. It's just ridiculous. But she's going on and on and she's like, yeah, yeah, it does still bother me that I didn't get an apology from everyone. And, uh, you know, but, but therapy has taught me not to expect things like that. So I should just stop looking for it, you know? And I'm watching that and I'm like, hey, imagine your child was burned almost to death. And you hope that the lawyer who won money for you, from your child is finally going to pay up and it just never happens. And then you see him and his wife spending obscene amounts of money on a televised show her making songs called It's Expensive to Be Me and bragging about how it costs $40,000 a month just to maintain her lifestyle. Driving around in a Lamborghini, multiple houses. She had the L.A. apartment. God knows what went on there. And the, the house that Girardi's owned since the 70s, always in his own name that he remortgaged a ton of times. But yes, Erica, you are definitely the victim here. For sure. And you should lower your expectations of the world just as the world has had to lower their expectations of you. But we cut to Kyle. Kyle's doing her own makeup, Peruge, and she's calling her daughters, Alexia and Sophia, who are driving down the street wearing her Gucci sweater and her Gucci shoes. And I actually really adored that scene because I like to see a family where they share stuff and that the kids think the mom has cool taste and that the mom isn't just like, don't touch my stuff, which Kyle does that a little bit, but she does always seem like happy and almost flattered that her daughters want to borrow her stuff as she should be, right? And so I think she sort of feigns this irritation, but she was smiling. I could tell that she liked it. And I just really liked that moment. Um, and I was trying to remember, I swear there was a real housewife who didn't want to share her clothes with her kids so much that she had a fingerprint lock put on her closet door. And I can't remember which housewife that was, but I always hated that. I was like, oh, if, especially if you're like you're a mom and your daughters want to wear your stuff. I know it's annoying, but I just feel like you should be flattered and material objects are so not important. The relationship is. So I love that Kyle prioritizes that. I found it. I found it. The housewife who had the fingerprint closet lock to keep her teenage daughters out of it was Real Housewives of D.C. And it was a Real Housewife named Mary if you watched that that series, Real Housewives of D.C., it was only one season long. It was like a comet that burned bright in the sun to never be seen again. The cast of characters was crazy. That was the Salahis who crashed a dinner in D.C. to meet Obama. Oh, my God. The memories. And the fingerprint closet was that was the season premiere of Real Housewives of D.C. It's all mashed up in my brain. All these fun facts. So then they show them all putting on very bright red dresses and they show Sutton had sent them, you know, the little emoji where it shows like a, a flamenco dancer almost. She's wearing the red dress. 
So Sutton had sent that to the ladies saying like, wear a red dress like this because we're going to go flamenco dancing. But Kyle brought just the weirdest outfits, as Dorit loves to remind us. And she brought like a very short, almost modern looking kind of dress. And it's sort of a fluorescent orange. And they cut back to her closet scene where Dorit was just roasting every outfit she brought. And there was a red dress she brought, but it was like part chains. Like Kyle was, was going through something, I think, when she packed for this trip. Maybe she had like Morgan's music on or some club and music on. And so she packed like she was really going to like a rave for a couple of days. I'm like, you're going to the hills in Spain with friends. You don't need club and outfits. And then I think psychologically, is this Kyle's way of getting attention on her? What do we think? Because now everyone's talking about her dress and how it doesn't really look the same as everybody else's. And so then she gets that boost of attention as well. Hmm. Now, have I figured Kyle out? Maybe. Because then everywhere they go the whole night, she's like, I'm sorry, mine's, I know, mine's not like the right red. I know I get it. And she does kind of pretend to be mortified about it, but mm, I don't know. So they all get into a van and they're going to the place they're going to learn the flamenco dance or perform the flamenco dance. Dorit is trying to get by. She's got these gigantic heels on. And so in one sentence, it's truly an art form, Dorit manages to tell us two things. One, she lived in Spain and in Europe. Two, drop the name brand of the shoes she's wearing. Because she says, After all my years in Europe, my Dolce Gabbana shoes walking on cobblestones. Like, okay, we get it. They're Dolce & Gabbana shoes, which I don't know if she's trying to impress Sutton because I think those are her favorite designers. But the shoes, the lift is just huge. And you know you're going to be walking on cobblestones. But the ridiculousness, it continues. Because in the van on the way to this dinner flamenco dancing, they get into a conversation about how you should never sign anything without reading it that your husband gives you. And it really is for some reason kind of focusing on Kyle and she keeps chiming in like, you know, I hear my mom's voice in my head saying like, never trust a man because she is kind of saying that she admittedly will just sign whatever Mauricio puts in front of her without reading it. And I'm like, well, that fits because you couldn't even be bothered to read an LA Times article. So, duh. And Erica pipes in and she's like, oh, even if you do read it, there are still some things that they can do. You know, this is how I got into trouble. I'm like, well, you got that right. Because you, your signature is on two different loan guarantees. And those are big loans. And Dorit chimes in and says that she doesn't always read what PK has her sign. She asks the business manager. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a healthy relationship. But then they get to dinner and Dorit really had me rolling, really had me cracking up. As they all sit down to this little restaurant in Spain and they're taking their drink orders. What do you think Dorit orders? What do you think our walking ad billboard Three commercials so far this season. What do you think she orders at dinner in Spain? A Coca-Cola normal, please. Una Coca-Cola normal. And Kyle, even Kyle makes fun of her. But I'm like, are you making fun of her? Or are you getting a check too from Coca-Cola? Because then she says, mm, Dorit's got to order a Coca-Cola normal. Like just say a normal Coca-Cola. I'm like, now both of you have said it twice. What's your payout? I got an eye twitch right now just thinking about it. It's so irritating to me that she's like a walking humanoid ad for Coca-Cola this year. But at the dinner, Erica goes off saying about how this trip was so positive and how great it was compared to Aspen last year. She's saying, well, yeah, that's the trip where she yelled, I don't care about anybody but me. And she was drunk and everybody was yelling and in vino veritas and it all came out. Yeah, no joke. This one's a little bit better. 
All right. And then this was ridiculous. I, I hope that everybody else yelled as how as loud as I did when they saw 8.5 Anne at the dinner out of nowhere ask for clarity from Erica on her quote cryptic statements earlier when she threw her flower wreath. And 8.5 Anne's like, well, you know, I'm just hoping that you can explain it to me because, you know, I haven't been here. So I don't really like I don't get the dynamics. And I'm like, man, play, what? As if you have not been watching the show. You're saying you don't understand why Erica said what she said and you want them to start trudging this up at this dinner. You want them to trudge up all the stuff that they symbolically let go of earlier in the day, but they play along. Uh, you can see a look on Erica's face where I think she knew what 8.5 Van was doing too, but she plays along and she says, well, the last two years, well, I, I felt very mischaracterized and misunderstood. And quite honestly, the morning that I woke up and I saw that my appeal was reversed, I knew, I knew that I was right. And everybody kept telling me, no, that I was wrong, but I knew and I knew that I was right. And I knew the whole time. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Here we go. She's spinning out. She's starting. And uh, it's like, has she seen the check from the client? And this is where I can't get into this anymore. I, I refuse to let her gaslight me anymore. She does not understand what she's talking about. We just have to accept that. And we have to let it go. There's no way that anybody's ever going to convince her that it was paid for with client money. It doesn't matter if we've got the check. It doesn't matter, you know, if Tom stood up and said, yeah, it was with client money. Like it's indisputed. She doesn't, she doesn't want to believe it. But she's going off about how, and those things will always hurt me. And I'm like, well, that's not nearly as bad as the hurt that all these victims have watching you gaslight that that wasn't paid for with client funds. <sighs> but then Garcelle says, well, do you feel like you can trust us now? Do you feel like you can trust us more? Because in episode one, Eagle Woman has landed. She said, I don't know if I can trust anyone in this group. And she answers her by saying like, I feel more relaxed. But trust is something it's earned over time, step by step. And again, the irony of this woman lecturing people about whether or not she can trust them, the hurt she feels, and that she doesn't feel like she's gotten enough support from them. But Garcelle, you know, plays along. And in her confessional, she says, I see how deeply she was affected by us. And we wanted to see compassion and empathy from her, but... You know, we could have also just moved on from all of it. And I'm like, I don't think you should move on from all of it. That's what she wants. She wants you all, she wants to flip the tables on you and have you all feel awkward for asking so you stop asking. But like, that's how this misinformation just continues to grow. If no one ever checks her and no one ever corrects her, she's just going to be living in this delusional fantasy land where nothing was ever really wrong. And for some reason, all these people that are trying to make this right are the bad guys, you know, and she, they're coming to get her and poor her and all this. And it's like, there was a bad guy in the situation and it was your husband and everybody's trying to right all of the wrongs and get on board. But then Sutton steps in and thankfully she smooths it all over and she says, cheers to Erica. Some of us got invited to your show and I want to congratulate you on your residency. This is a big deal to you and we'll be there. And that was a dig because they show in the flashbacks and stuff that I guess Erica showed up in like a jumpsuit to Kyle's house with a limo and like dancers and a sign announcing her residency. And Sutton was not 
part of that. And I guess Sutton was the, maybe the only person not invited, which is so mean. You know, Sutton says in her confession, like, well, when I was a kid, my mama always made sure that I invited everybody in the class to my parties because that was a nice thing to do. And she's right. The schools that I deal with, if you cannot invite only a few select people in the class to a party, if you're going to send invitations to a party, you cannot hand out only a few. You have to invite everybody in the class if it's going to happen like on school grounds, because that is so toxic and so mean. (laughs) And so if you want to just pick and choose like that, then you don't get to like do that at school. You have to probably call people, you know, your own private circle and do it that way, but you can't do it at school. And I feel like that should be the rule for Bravo shows too. Like you can't just not invite all housewife or two housewives. Like you're all in this contract together. If it's going to be filmed for the show, it's weird to have not, you know, one person or two people not there. And then Erica's like, totally. And you're all invited. And she starts going off saying like, she remembers how much fun they had when she did Broadway, when she did the Roxy Hart role in Chicago years ago, which seems like it was so long ago, but that was right before everything came crashing down. And she's like, you even chartered the plane to that. And Sutton's like, I sure did. And then they flash back and it was a jump scare because they show the inside of Sutton's private plane that she rented for that. And Rena is in one of the seats and she's like jumping up and down, just hands waving, hair going back and forth. And she's like, private jet, private jet, private jet, private jet. I'm just like, how did we ever watch the show with that with that person on there? Like that that amount of energy is just crazy. I would just be like, hey, Rena, this this napkin smells funny. Will you smell it? Take her to the ground. Just knock her out for the flight with a little chloroform, you know, just for some peace. Like, I brought a book. Can I read for a minute? But I'm sure Rena was excited to have been in the episode at all. I'm sure she heard about it, and I'm sure she's doing great. Maybe vacuum sealing some garments, throwing some mothballs around in her garage, jumping over rats in the kitchen. She's spry. She's got a busy day. So they're at this restaurant and they're eating food. We really don't get to see what they're eating, which always irks me. I'm like, show me that food. But they show just like little snippets of that. And there's a stage behind them, quite small. And it's a very intimate restaurant. And they're like, you're going to get up there and you guys are all going to perform up there. And currently there's music going on and things. And so the women start to get in their heads about it. Telling people like, I don't think I can do it because my shoes are too tall. I can't walk in these shoes. I'm like, why'd you wear those shoes? She's like, my dress is too long. And, and Kyle's like, I don't think I, I don't think I, I don't think we should do this. I don't think anyone wants to see us do this. Like I, she starts getting her like anxiety, her wave of anxiety of like, I don't even drink anymore. I can't get up there and be, it's not like I can do the splits. And then we get a solid minute of flashbacks of Kyle doing the splits since she's been on the show. It took a while. But Erica's like, just kick off your shoes and hold your skirt and get it in. And I'm like, you know, if this whole Vegas residency thing doesn't work out for her, I could see her just chain smoking owning her own dance studio, you know, like an Abby Lee Miller, just yelling at young people about how to dance and how to shake it. But they all get up there. They all get up on the little tiny stage and they all do their little dancing. And they're really just like doing their stomping and clapping. I mean, it's not like they're doing a full blown spinning around dance, but they do great. They're all up there and the whole restaurant is very supportive as we know they would be. And Sutton endears herself to all of us even more so when she gives sort of like a, a speech as they're showing the B-roll of them dancing and laughing and clapping and having a good time. And she says, I never thought I would get emotional. I do love them, though. I love laughing. I, we've all gotten through things together and nothing is more important than friendship. 
because they become your family. And right now, this is my family and I love it. And it was very, very sweet. And she's just saying like, they go through things and they get over things. And that's what friendship is. And I think for many people on this show, it's nothing more than a tool for them. I think it's a tool for Kyle and it's a tool for Dorit. But to Sutton, I really feel like this is meaningful to her and that she's a person who probably does struggle with like people really getting close to her and understanding her, especially probably when you have that much wealth. I'm sure it's hard to make friends already, but then finding somebody that you actually like. And this show is such a unique experience for her and she appreciates it. And I think for a good trip on on any Real Housewives franchise, the hostess has to have heart, has to care about the quality of the trip and whether or not her guests are happy and their comfort levels. And it just harkens back to when Dorinda originally brought everybody to Bluestone Manor and she made it nice. And, you know, she got mad at them for ruining that. But that kind of energy, and we've seen so many cast trips of all the different franchises and the ones that are annoying or bad where the hostess doesn't really care (laughs) about the guests. If you remember that trip they took in Atlanta where Kenya like got herself food and she didn't (laughs) get food for anyone else. And she's out there like they went crazy on her. That was one of the funniest moments I've seen on Atlanta because they were so irritated that the hostess ordered herself food and nobody else. And Candy was like big mad. I loved it. Anyway, the point is the hostess has to care about the group or else things go sideways. So we snap our fingers and all of a sudden we're back in Beverly Hills. We do not see how this happens or their flight or any more van rides. Poof, here we are back in Garcelle's house. And she's got a pair of shoes that her assistant is like, the shoes you wanted, Kay. And she's like, oh, the shoes I wanted. And she opens the shoe box and they say at the bottom of the screen, $1,800 pair of blah, blah, something shoes. And she takes it out and it looks like I'm happy for her, right? They're just these big candy crush size and colored jewels that, so they're like candy crush Theranos, you know, kind of shoes. But anyway, she's very happy with them. And she's like, I could see myself wearing these and nothing else. I'm like, you live, go live your life. Enjoy those shoes. Now we cut to a little vignette for everybody. Erica's getting coached by Mikey. Pat it harder. And she's like, I'm trying. And then we get to, well, they didn't really say that, but you know, that's what I imagined in my mind. Then Crystal is helping her kids do their homework on a little tablet, and that's adorable. And then Kyle is shown welcoming Dorit to her house. They're both wearing baseball hats, and that's how you know it's a casual day. And it's just two friends going to have a casual conversation. Now, Dorit comes over to Kyle's house. She's just driven over there, driven a vehicle. She's carrying something when she comes through the front door. It's a Coca-Cola. We've jumped the shark. We are to believe that she brought a can of Coke, a cola, from her house into the car and is now carrying it on camera into Kyle's house. And I yelled out, are you effing kidding me? But that's not where it ends. We can't just see the product. We've got to talk about the product because any good marketer knows you've got to say something at least seven times to influence a buying pattern or behavior set. So here we go. Doree walks in and she says, I'm struggling, so I'm breaking out of Coca-Cola. And Kyle says, well, that used to be my thing, but I haven't had one in like, I don't know, 10 months or something. And Dorit says, oh, wow, it's good for you. It's good for you. Is this the 1950s? Are you a doctor in a commercial telling people to smoke cigarettes? 
I if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's the empirical evidence that a high fructose corn syrup is in no way good for the human body. It can be enjoyed from time to time. It is in no way good for the human body. Nothing good happens when you spike the sugar response like that. Not for your pancreas, not for your kidneys. It's good for you. Really? Have we come to this, Dorit? So we've got one real housewife saying that earrings that were bought with client funds were not bought with client funds. A blatant lie. And then we've got this housewife telling us drinking Coca-Cola is good for you. But remind me again why Crystal was vilified for saying these ladies were not bright. But whatever. They get into talking about their husbands. Kyle is talking about how they, they're even just like walking into her house to go sit down in a room. And all her rooms in her house are beautiful. And they've all been decorated to the nines, probably by Faye Resnick. Dorit's like, oh, look at that room over there. And Kyle's like, yeah, that was my favorite room to sit in. But Mauricio took it for his office. You can just see... Like anything that could irritate her has irritated her. She's hit her tipping point and it's no holds barred anymore. But they get to complaining. Kyle gets to complaining about the agency because Dorit's asking her about her marriage. Kyle is saying that she and Mauricio never really get into problems that they have because he likes to keep the peace. So if anybody's going to rock the boat, it's her every time to complain to him that he's working too much or he's not around and she needs more from him. Yet she sees him fighting so hard for the agency, for his company, and she doesn't understand how he can like work around the clock and travel where he needs to travel and put so much time and energy into that, but then just brush off anything that she brings up about their marriage that she needs more support from him. And that's a valid question. And it probably just is his comfort level that she's fine but the business won't take care of itself, but they've been together for so long. He's probably just like, she's okay. And she goes on and on about how she supported him when he had nothing. And I was like, that'll be a nice quote for court when they're divvying up things. Cause I don't know if they have a prenup or not. And she says again, spoon feeding us, you know, if he's putting no effort into this, I don't know if we're going to end up together. So they're slowly this whole season, Kyle is just slowly breadcrumbing us through the storyline. And we're like, we already know. And then we get into previews and they show that Sutton is on her second date with that handsomish guy with a full head of hair. The one that was like making jokes with her the last time was two episodes ago. And he says, oh, I like your purse. And he's like, Celine, because her purse is Celine. Birth. And he's like, you mean like Celine Dion? And they giggle. And I'm like, you know damn well, you know damn well that that's a Celine bag. You know how much money that costs, I bet. Drop the act. But the bag she had was a Celine belt bag, or it could have been a mini belt bag. Either way, retails like $2,500 or over. And then the previews show Dorit getting her glam done again, again. And she's FaceTiming with PK while all these people are buzzing around her doing her hair and her makeup. And she's asking him, when will you be back? And he's like, you're not my mother. And um, yeah, he might be irritated seeing you get glam when he knows your financial straits. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It's that British humor. You gotta love it, right? You're not my mother. Like she's really got to come up with some one-liners for when he's sassy with her. She just sort of purses her little lips and stares like Kermit the Frog, but she really needs to throw something back. Like she should say something like, you're right. I'm not your mother. If I was, you'd have better manners. Or yeah, I'm not your mother. 
If I was, you'd be way better looking. That's funny. That's British humor. Comedy rule of three, you got to have a third funny one. So a third one could be, you're not my mother. Yeah, you're right. I'm not your mother. If I was, I would have fixed your teeth a long time ago. That would have been good too. Any of those three, any comeback at all, just don't sit there and let them throw a burn over the fence and not slap it back. Like something, anything. And then we see that there's going to be some drama with Erica next week. She looks adorable. Her glam is great and her outfit is great. It looks very Barbie core. And we see Garcelle saying like, I didn't want you to fall, but I have my own opinion and I'm going to stick by that forever. So they're obviously talking about like Girardi stuff. And Erica's just like crying and being like, it didn't have to be this way. And I don't know what they get into or how dramatic it is, but no, it didn't have to be this way. It could have been very different. And there was a weird moment in this episode as well, where they're on that van and Dorit and Kyle are in the very back of the van. And I really didn't dwell on it in the moment. I was like, that's weird. And I kind of rewound it and watched it again. And I was like, hmm. And then I saw some people talking about it online. And Dorit is like typing into her phone and she shows it to Kyle and they both have their like, I don't know what it is, their little smirky smirk faces. And Kyle reaches over and she puts her hand over a camera that's in the back seat of the van so that the camera can't see either what Dorit has typed in or is looking at. And I'm just like, what the heck's going on back there? I don't know if they're talking smack about the ladies in the moment or if they're looking at something that they don't want other people to see. And there were so many posts on social media reacting to Erica again, going on and on about how she feels like the ladies owe her an apology. And one of the ones that I saw via Bravo and Botox's roundup from was from an account called Petty Mess 6 on Twitter that said, Erica will never understand that it was her behavior that made the group and the views viewers dislike her, not the court case or if she knew. Her lashing out, lack of empathy for others, and unwillingness to understand why people would be asking her questions was the issue. And yeah, that was the primary issue. It really was that she would freak out on people for asking questions and being concerned about the victims and the families and this horrible legacy that the Girardis have left behind. And she would get so mean and loud and brash about that. That was awful. And yet would always demand that the ladies coddle her, show her support, rally around her. Since the season has ended and the reunion has been taped, Kyle has been, it almost seems like, like going on some sort of a tour around every interview that she could have. I keep seeing these from her. She's, you know, talking about how Dorit and her are kind of on the out. She's not super close with her, but she's close with Erica, apparently. This is like commentary on the after show. And then she was on, I think it's Extra. I know that was still around, but she's doing an interview on Extra again, talking, oh, is this Billy Bush? He's back. They brought him back. Can we enough, enough already? There are other people who deserve platforms. Ew, now I'm double irritated. Anyway. Erica is so great to her, but Dorit is really bothering her and asked her all the wrong questions and was pressing her too much about her marriage, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if this little coven is turning on one of its own and now trying to get Dorit out of there for not staying in line. I don't know. Maybe Kyle has a row, a B string of people that she wants to now rotate in like shark teeth to be a cast member on the show. Like 8.5 and didn't work out. Dorit is waning. 
Erica's still there, but she's got her own stuff going on. So Kyle needs to build up her army. Please don't let Kyle pick any more cast members. Bravo. Please. I'm begging you to just have somebody come in who's net neutral or somehow is just a clean slate or is friends with a different person on the show. They always bring in friends of Kyle. And then she was on another show talk show about housewives and saying, hinting at like maybe taking a break. Like, why do I do this to myself? I put myself through this drama. And then we talk about it again, six months from after the show airs. So she's really been out there. I haven't seen any of the other ladies really giving interviews. I saw Crystal. Crystal do one, but Kyle has been out there a ton. And then of course, today, the day that this pod goes out will be Monday, February 12th. And that is the day that Hulu's Housewife and the Hustler Part 2 is going to be out. I'm going to be watching that with a notebook in hand. I'm really watching that for Marco Marco and the victims who are going to be on. I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what they have to say. I'm also going to recap that on a podcast as well as show it on my Instagram stories for maybe people who don't have Hulu or don't have the time and want to understand, you know, the major things that come out of it. And that happened a really long time ago. So it will be interesting too, to see what is discussed with the victims and then what has happened in that time frame, in that time period since. That was a long time ago, maybe six months. So I want to know what did she say to them? And then when did she go back and film and keep up this whole thing of like, oh, those are my earrings. You can't prove they were taken with client funds. Like if you ask any of those clients, they'll be able to tell you. So like, which came first, the chicken or the lie on this one? Did she sit down and talk to them? Do they talk about the earrings at all? Do they talk about all of the other like horrible things that she has said on the show pertaining to not caring about victims and what can people prove in court? And she didn't know any of this and all the stuff she's posted online. Because again, if that irritated me and so many other people, I'm not even, my family wasn't even fleeced, you know, by her husband to pay for her lifestyle. I cannot imagine what they have been feeling. And then Kyle going out and doing all of these shows, I wonder if it's because she sees that she didn't have a great season and it didn't really like go the way that I think she thought it was going to go. I think she thought it was going to be the Kyle show again, where we're all hyper fixated on her and her issues. But really we had room in our hearts for others. And people called her out about a lot of horrible behavior, being terrible to Sutton. And so I wonder if this is kind of like a damage control thing for her. And oh my gosh, by the way, if you want a tickle, this New York Times article about Merce, there's no, uh, it's not behind a firewall. So you can read it without having to pay them money. And the comments, I was like, oh, there's comments on this article. Let me open them. Oh my goodness. I would say 75% of them are people who are clutching their pearls and talking about how utterly disrespectful having Merce be featured on a Real Housewives franchises and how disgusting this is and how lowbrow and this is trash TV and this is just disrespectful. And then the other percent are saying that he would have loved this and that he really meant something to Sutton and that this is, he would have gotten a kick out of being featured on the show. And either way, it's a good thing to educate people about who he was. And one woman is like, when will we stop polluting the planet with the ashes? I'm like, that's not, do you know what pollution is? That, why don't you go after balloons first? 
go research how much damage balloons do every year. Like ashes is at least organic material that will biodegrade. It doesn't even need to. It's been brought back to its carbon form. Uh, the comments. And I'm like, well, then, and this says she sends me on a sidetrack in my thoughts. I'm like, or does she mean the energy it takes to turn a body into ashes? In which case, okay, that does take some energy, but I feel like that footprint and we could go on. I could go, I could talk about how human beings choose to deal with our remains for probably an entire podcast in and of itself. It is kind of silly what we do, but yeah, I understand that it takes a lot of energy to turn a human form into ash at the same time, the money, the materials, and the pollution to bury a coffin, you know, wood, lacquer, fabric, and then to take up that space on earth. If every single person who's ever lived on the planet took up a four foot by, you know, eight foot piece of earth that we couldn't walk on that had a gravestone on it, we would have no land. So we can't all lay down in the ground and be like, that's our patch forever. So most cemeteries have like a 99 year lease that you're essentially buying. And so you get it for 99 years and we just don't ask questions about what they do with it after. I don't know what they do. And then they've got a thing now where you can choose to have your body be at the bottom of a tree, like have a tree be planted over you. That sounds kind of nice. Uh, And then there's people who donate their body to like a body farm. And that's very fascinating. Then there's people who donate it to science. But for someone like Merce Cunningham, who was an icon in his field, for him to probably have put it in his will or had his you know, person taking care of his affairs say like, hey, here's what I want. I want to be cremated and then I want you to give out little bits of my ashes to people who meant a lot to me. That's very nice. Like one person says, I don't understand why this article was written. It's nauseating and needlessly disrespectful to the memory of one of the greatest artists of the last century. Must everything be torn down and dragged through the mud? He would have despised it. To which I say, I would not have known who he was without this episode. I was not seeped in the arts growing up. It was very much like, go to school, graduate, get a job, go to work. Like, that's it. There was no going to ballet going, there was, I was not exposed to that. I don't know who these people are. So thank you for this episode. And I'm sure to a lot of people, thank you for this episode. And that just, to me, is coming from like a place of privilege. Like we don't all grow up learning who great dancers and choreographers are. Like not everybody is going to the opera on the weekends. It's like why famous people and people who are great at what they do go on Sesame Street, because that's exposure to little kids who maybe don't know who a lot of these people are. And Real Housewives is just another facet of that. It's a TV show that amplifies people and a lot of people watch it. And if you bring in subject matter outside of that, then, hey, we all learned something today. What's there to be mad at? But whatever, that's New York Times folks for you. There's always going to be those sticks in the muds, sticks in the muds who just want to ruin it and poop on it. And they're like, Trevor should be ashamed. The Cunningham thing should be ashamed. Sutton should be ashamed. It's like, nope. There's no shame there. You should be ashamed, actually, for going online and trying to shame other people for how they chose to remember someone who meant a lot to them. But okay. But next pod drops on Thursday. I'm going to try to make it about the housewife and the hustler if I can watch it at least twice and take some detailed notes because I don't want to misquote anything. I want to make it a good one and add in fun facts wherever I see, wherever I learn something new or maybe see a discrepancy 
that's what's always interesting about these documentaries because I'm sure they're going to pull in a cast of characters. I've heard that several people that I know and love are in it. Kiki Talk of Shame, Emily Baker, uh, some other creators who, you know, along with myself have been following this since it all broke in 2020 and will be offering their insights. Yeah, it, it should be an interesting ride. We're going to hear from the victims again. And all I ever hope when I see these documentaries coming out is that the people who are creating the documentaries do the victims justice and don't focus on silly stuff like the way that they had, you know, Danielle walking out for Housewife and the Hustler part one. I was like, man, you just ruined it. So I hope that they handle it better and keep the focus where it needs to be and don't get sidetracked with like this clickbait of thinking that they need to put silly stuff in there or too much housewife stuff in there. Like the Girardi scandal is so content rich. You don't need bells and whistles. You really don't. And I think there's a huge crossover between people who are real housewives and Bravo fans and people who enjoy true crime. And so I think they just need to focus on the actual crime of it more than the flash. So I'm sure I'm going to have thoughts on it. That should be an interesting one. But in the meantime, subscribe to this pod and the next one will bloop pop up for you when it's pushed out on Thursday. In the meantime, don't be like Dorit. Don't live outside of your means and then be forced to use your time on a show to serve as a living, walking advertisement for Coca-Cola Normal. Normal.